This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming back Dr. Asherina Reem. Dr. Asherina is a licensed clinical psychologist who has a teletherapy practice out of Arizona. You might know her as Psyched Mommy on Instagram, where she shares all kinds of maternal mental health, psychoeducation, and truths about motherhood. A really common theme that comes up for both Asherina and I with our followers on Instagram is isolation and loneliness. Moms who are at home with baby or are stay-at-home moms or even just throughout their pregnancy and motherhood experience feel so lonely and isolated. Uh, They often feel that there is a lack of support and social media really kind of plays on this isolation when it comes to comparison and causes us to feel even more kind of withdrawn and isolated at times. In this episode, we talk about how to get up and get moving, how to get out of the house, but also if you are homebound, you've got two or three kids and you have a hard time getting out, we really talk about important ways to connect with others and find your tribe. And also in this episode, we talk about practical ways to set limits and guidelines around your social media so that it doesn't feed into your isolation and loneliness. Before we dive into this week's episode, I'm going to read the review of the week. This week's review comes from ALC8887, and the title is Blown Away. I am absolutely loving this podcast. Entertaining, relatable, and so well done. Erica clearly does her research and has interviewed some incredibly knowledgeable female professionals. I am so excited to have the resources she has shared and looking forward to more episodes. Thank you so much for this amazing review. As I've always told you guys, these reviews are life for me because without them, I don't have your feedback. I don't know if you're out there listening as I'm kind of here by myself recording. So I appreciate the feedback. Happy to know that this is making a difference. And let's dive in and hear from Dr. Asherina. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Asherina, thank you so much for joining us again today. I got such amazing feedback from our episode that we did on Mommy Rage. So thanks for coming on back. Thank you for having me. So we talked a little bit about your personal story and we shared some examples and stuff about motherhood in the Mommy Rage episode, but I'd love for you to share where your 
sort of passion or uh, kind of what sparked your Instagram page and how you got online serving moms in that way? You know, I um, shared last time, but I had such a an experience becoming a mom, like such a difficult transition. And I felt like no one had been talking about an experience like that. So I thought that using Instagram, and I kind of used a few teasers and I realized like anytime I put out something about um, perinatal mental health or anytime I shared something about the difficulty in transitioning to motherhood, I got such like these, it's almost like a, it's like a standing ovation on Instagram. Like people are like, yes, no one is saying that. Um, and at first I was kind of hesitant to do it and I was kind of, I guess you'd say scared, but, um, I realized that there was a need for it. And I think back at the beginning of the year, I was like, I can do this and I'm just gonna, I'm going to change course here and I'm going to go all in so that no mom really feels or felt, um, quite like how I did, like really alone, really, um, shameful or, um, just, yeah, just unaware of all of that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I started, I think it's actually a year ago today, today mm-hmm. or tomorrow that I started my Instagram page. Um, it's now underscore happy as the mother, but it didn't start that way. I kind of, you know, found my way to, to my brand and my voice through some trial and error. But, um, I had started into like a passion for photography when I was on maternity leave and really wanting to like take pictures with my kids and seeing these kind of like mummy lifestyle Instagram influencers and really wanting to capture these beautiful moments with my kids and and maybe be able to make an income out of being on on Instagram because I'm social, I love social media and I love photography and images and like it just sounded like a good fit for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so I had I started with like crafts and just posting things and advice and different things to moms and then I kind of started to move into a little bit of this kind of like influencer vibe. And I loved it because it was a creative outlet for me. But really, the more I got into it, the more I felt like this is just not like an accurate representation of motherhood. You know, like I legit coordinated all my kids outfits. (laughs) I totally staged this room in my house. I pushed all of my crap to the side and to take these like pretty images of my family that were totally inauthentic and not real. Mm -hmm. And so like in that and in really like specializing and learning about maternal mental health, but also wanting to build an Instagram platform, I was like, what does this look like and how do I do this differently? You know, Um, and really for having like an appreciation for photography and for Instagram and social media, like how do I do this? But I realized that like the average person doesn't know that what they're looking on on Instagram, if they don't have like a photography background or like a digital marketing background, they don't realize that the images that they're seeing on these curated Instagram feeds are not real life. Oh my goodness. Yes. You are speaking to, yes, that is so, so important because sometimes it does look like, gosh, how do they do that? You know, how do they have that all together? Because I sure as heck don't. And you're, I think you're, you nailed it they are curated, they are perfected and they are set up. And I don't necessarily think with the, not with the intention to harm people, but it's just that we we love beautiful pictures, right? Yeah. And like, as a, like 
not even aspiring photographer, but as like a hobby photographer, I guess we'll call myself like just someone who loves to be creative with creative with photography. Um, I understand what like staging and things go into making a beautiful image and a beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. And I also know the chaos on the other side of like, like what really goes on behind getting that one beautiful picture. But then at home, also being this mom who's also on mat leave, covered in spit up and like leaky boob breast milk all (laughs) over my shirt, scrolling through these other influencers and wondering how they're doing it and thinking like, man, my life is not like that. And I even had the information to know, wait a minute, like this isn't real life. You know, Mm -hmm. so that sort of led into my um, wanting to to encourage moms and allow them to own kind of like those negative experiences or like the darker side of motherhood, because there wasn't any representation of that in these really, you know, perfect curated feeds that I was seeing. So and that's how you and I have connected is through sharing that that space together and kind of having the same mission to, you know, help moms and support them through the positive, but also at the negative times and that that's okay to have those negative times as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it was definitely very similar in that, um, when I started, it wasn't like everything I was sharing was about, um, it wasn't encouraging and inspiring. I actually started, um, you brought something up, but like I had left my job, I resigned. And then I thought I'm going to share my journey of leaving my career and um, shared a lot of funny things in humor, like the humor in motherhood. And then realized that sometimes what I think needs to be shared is not necessarily what people need to be receiving. And um, I really did shift the focus of my Instagram because I recognized that there was a need for more of that. um, Like you said, we can view it as the, you know, the negative part of motherhood, but it's the hard stuff that we're not hearing about. I definitely didn't hear about it when I was pregnant and I definitely didn't hear about it um, truthfully before I became a mom because, you know, we hear so many of those cliche statements of enjoy every minute and you think you're going to. And that's, I think it's hard when you transition to a motherhood and you're like, gosh, I'm not. And here I am feeling shame and guilt about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like in prepping for this interview, we were talking about what your audience brings up. And and one of the things that reoccurs for both of us is this feeling of like isolation and loneliness that people experience, right? Yes. And I think that there's so many things that play a role in that and we can unpack it a little bit. But I, I do think that social media contributes and does play a role because before when like, you know, my mom was home on maternity leave, she didn't have a screen telling her about all like the lovely time or the perfect, you know, day that everybody was out having that day. Like, so it's made being home with kids a very different experience, Mm -hmm. one that can either connect you or one that can leave you feeling very isolated and lonely. Yes. I was just thinking of that this morning, actually, as I was driving to get my coffee, I was wondering like, how different it must have been for my mom raising me and being at home, not necessarily knowing what every mom's move was and what she was doing with her kids and what she was feeding her kids. And um, that sense of comparison and not that we have to do that, but it is a very reflexive response 
contributes to that sense of isolation because we see what people are doing on social media and then the week brings up these feelings of inadequacy. And I think sometimes it perpetuates that isolation because we don't want to engage when we feel like we're inadequate. Mm, yeah. So we've already touched on some of the reasons why motherhood can be so isolating and lonely. Like Instagram and social media, I think is a huge piece of it. But can we unpack that a little bit? What are What's some of the feedback that you've gotten from moms and even our own experiences as moms that contribute to isolation and loneliness in motherhood? There is so much. And that's actually a question I polled a few weeks ago. And I I actually asked moms what was the most difficult part or the thing that they didn't anticipate in becoming a mother. And that like number one theme, and that's, I think, why we're having this conversation is I'm lonely, I'm isolated. And part of it is like, I can be around people and I still feel very isolated. And I think there are several contributors. I think Partly, we live in a different age, and I don't necessarily know that people in different parts of the world feel this amount of isolation. Um, But I know that moms in North America particularly feel this isolation because the village is no longer there, right? Mm. We don't live in communities where people are connected. We don't, and and I speak even from my own experience, like we can live around people and know very little about them. I mean, we can engage with our neighbors less frequently. Um, here in Arizona, this is one thing I noticed about moving here 10 years ago is we, we get in our car, we know we're in our car, we're driving, we pull right into our garage and we close the door and we get in our house and yeah. no one interacts with one another. And the digital age has also, I think, contributed to this because now when we need to interact with people, we do it on our phones and we don't need to have Um, live conversations, or we don't have to go to the grocery store. There's a lot that I think is great. Obviously, with technology comes a lot of um, progression into whatever it is that, you know, we are sailing off into. But I think it also comes with some crippling uh, isolation for moms. So I think part of it is like just the culture, the part of the world we live in, how technology has changed and shaped us. Um, I know that moms, a lot of us, myself included, move away from our families. And I, this is something I did. I you know, went to graduate school and I never looked back. Mm-hmm. And so we are often living away from support people. There's just so much that contributes to the sense of isolation. Um, yeah. I can add, even you know, being a working mom, and you, you know this as well, that can, it's like when you're balancing being a mom and having a, a career how hard is that to juggle? So there are just, I could sit here and go on and on all day long about what I'm hypothesizing that contributes to this isolation and what I hear from moms, but there's just so much. I totally agree. Like it's, I think about my own routine and day in life. Like we've got neighbors on either side of us and I don't even know their names because we mm-hmm. live in like the GTA and like Toronto and then people are friendly here and I could say hello, but they're not like my people, you know, like right. they're not like my tribe, like the people that I connect with. And then our family supports and things like my husband has relocated overseas. Like he's from West Africa. So his mm-hmm. family is all there. So, and my mom is like a drive away and my dad has passed away. So it's like, we don't have a lot of supports and community and the culture that he is from. So his mother actually dropped everything for three months every time all the kids were born and came from overseas and stayed and like moved in with us to help with the babies. 
and that community and that it's not it's not even something she questioned because it's so ingrained in their culture and what they do when a baby is born that nothing else mattered other than coming and helping and like that was yes. the priority culturally like that's what her mother did that's what you do you know and in north america that's not how it goes and and adjusting to uh, especially a first baby any baby but especially you know first time parents that's a legitimate crisis and a massive transition for people to go through and to go through it with a lack of support system or a lack of community around you makes it that much more challenging you know mm-hmm. and and prolongs those feelings and those challenges because you don't have the the supports around so I agree to, to all of those points. Yeah. Yes. I think that zero to one, you know, not having children and then becoming a parent is definitely um, very, very big um, transition for that reason. And I think the, what also contributes to that feeling of isolation is we go from interacting all day long, right? When you're not a parent, you can, you do self-care regularly. You're taking care of yourself. You're engaging with Maybe you're engaging with coworkers. You're picking up and going wherever you want to go. And I don't mean like being social, like you have to go out with a group of friends, but being social, like going to the grocery store, running errands freely whenever you want to. And then your life changes so suddenly overnight and you don't know how to manage it. And sometimes in that, that, uh, those early days, it almost feels like it's easier just to not go anywhere. Mm. And that just contributes to that feeling of, I really, I mean, when was the last time I saw somebody? When was the last time I was outside? Yeah. It really, you start to realize those things. Yeah. Like you have, when you're leaving the house, you're packing up this human and it's such a process and an ordeal compared to just like grabbing your keys and, you know, leaving the house. So there's all of these sort of roadblocks and things that prevent you from getting out and socializing. And then I found that on my first maternity leave, um, which I was super, you know, obviously blessed and fortunate to be able to take, I think it was like 11 or 12 months that I took with my first son uh, to be a part of some mummy groups and to try and take that time to connect with other moms and stuff. But then, like you said, I'd get to these mummy groups and still feel alone, you know, mm-hmm. because, and I think that this is why I'd mentioned um, in our prep for this, that I think shame plays a huge role in isolation for moms because I'd get to these mummy groups and everyone has their really polarizing, you know, parenting values. And so I would express something about a decision that we're contemplating for my son being a really kind of anxious, unsure new mom about, you know, what is right in terms of solids and feeding and all like all the things that you have to navigate and then get met with a really judgmental or negative response from even people who are supposed to be supportive in my like community mummy groups and stuff. So I think that for people who, you know, are struggling with those social situations or or being unsure of the decisions that they're making or struggling with anxiety or depression, being met with that judgment causes a significant amount of shame. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, you were speaking to my soul because <laughs> I was, um, the groups I initially went to when I was home with my son, I didn't, they didn't connect with me. They didn't sit well with me. And I think maybe it was this feeling of inadequacy I had, but it just didn't feel like it made me any happier or any more connected. And it does take time. And I think every person has to really figure out what 
does it for them. So it doesn't always have to be like, you know, go to mom group, you're going to connect with people and you're going to find your tribe and you're going to be happy, right? Right. Um, It doesn't always work that way. And sometimes going to something like that can perpetuate the symptoms of anxiety that a mom has or that isolation or shame or depression that she's experiencing. And um, I think it's important to note that and say, it's okay if it's not for you. Yeah. It's interesting because it's this, like, again, I always wrestle with like the duality of motherhood, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're isolated. So really, you know, the answer would be to like get out of the house. You would think like what, you know, what, what is the remedy to that? Go be around people. But I, I really think that the quality of the people you spend your time with matters. Um, and that's such like a, like a weird thing to say, but it's like going and being with a group of strangers may not make you feel more connected. It gives the opportunity for connection. Um, but it's only safe to connect if you feel like that's a supportive and encouraging environment. And I think that's where I kind of struggled was that the environment that I was in was just kind of this group that didn't really feel particularly safe because we didn't have aligned parenting values. We didn't really have any aligned like parenting goals and why we were there or what we were doing. So it didn't feel like people that I wanted to like allow my my guard down with. So I would go and kind of feel like disconnected, even though I had like forced myself to get out of the house. Now, getting out of the house, seeing some sunshine, you know, doing something other than just being at home, getting spit up on was like a positive experience to get out of the house and push myself to do that, but not really feeling left with like a tangible connection, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes perfect sense. And I think sometimes um, combating isolation doesn't mean that we have to be around a ton of people. And like you said, the quality of the people really um, is impactful. Sometimes connecting with other people can be texting or being on a phone call with somebody that's really close to you, but you just can't be with in that moment. And they can impact our mood just the same or even more greatly when we feel connected or safe with someone. I know for me, being social or being connected sometimes was going for a walk and just smiling at other people or waving at other people or saying hello. Sometimes that felt good just to change the scenery and change the environment Um, so I think it does, it just depends on the person. And for some moms, I think like they feel like this mom group, this particular group was so aligned with my values, or I did meet so many moms that I felt connected with and it changed my life and it saved me. So I don't want to like diminish the, um, I guess the impact it can have, but just knowing yourself is so important, knowing what you need and doing more of that and exploring what your needs are is so important. Yeah, and maybe even trying out a few of those different mummy groups to find which one you really can like vibe and connect with, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had done a few different ones and I actually did end up finding, it was like a stroller fit and we took our strollers and like there was this like trainer and he led us on this walk and this like workout through the park and stuff. And I actually met a really like cool group of girlfriends through that particular mummy group. All of our babies were around the same age. We had things in common in terms of like the stages and the things that they were going through. Um, and they were, you know, supportive and non-judgmental and, and went through the stages. We were all kind of like figuring it out together, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are definitely like pros and cons. I think about, um, South Bay mummy and me on Instagram. Yeah. 
And I think about the groups, like the mommy groups that she runs that have a clear purpose of like bonding with baby and maternal mental health. And there's like a real kind of like solidarity they form throughout their groups. They just did this like baby graduation I saw like in her story. Uh They like graduated all the babies and I'm like, ugh, like just – like, oh, wouldn't that be so lovely to have that type of group? So they're definitely out there, those quality groups. It's just like knowing to to try out a few and to find people and to like, just because you're in a group and you don't feel like you connect doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Doesn't mean that people don't want to connect with you. Doesn't mean, you know, that you are flawed in any way. What it means is that you need to find a group, your tribe, who your values align with and you feel safe and supported by. And that finding those quality interactions might take a few tries or a a few different groups to really discover. Yes. And also knowing that you are going to need support people for different things. And you might actually join a group because you need to be distracted or you need to be, um, you need to laugh. And the support people that you go to to share the more, I guess, deeper rooted issues that you want to talk about can be people that you are connected with and you can talk to on the phone. So I think it just looks different. And we need to know, like, I always tell patients this, it's like identifying what you need from your support people, because everybody is going to offer you something different. And your partner might not even offer what you anticipated they're going to offer. So really figuring out who you are going to go to for what, so that when you need you know, whatever said thing that you know where to go to. And sometimes we need people for, you know, I need you for like the physical support, right? I just need you to pick up around the house or I, and I need you for emotional support. I just need to maybe share this with you. So I don't feel like I'm carrying this burden all the time. And I need this mom group so that I can feel connected to other moms and maybe just have a good time and laugh and giggle. So I think we just really have to figure out what is it that we're looking for? What is it that we're needing and that we're, you know, advocating for ourselves for those things and we're asking for those things that we need? Okay, this is so good. I feel like we're getting really to like the meat of the issue here because you can't expect one single person or one single friend group to meet all of your social and emotional needs. Absolutely. Like, just like you can't expect your partner to soothe and support and do all the things for you all of the time. So I look at working with clients, moms, you know, teens, couples, whoever it is, that you need to have a support system outside of your immediate relationships or family. And like you said, those relationships serve sort of like different functions or meet different needs in your life. And I can sit back and think about the people in my life. Like if I really want to go out and have a fun girls night, like I know the group to call. If I really need a heart to heart because I'm feeling, you know, that I'm wrestling with the dark side of motherhood today, I know the exact friend that I'm going to call for that safe, intense heart to heart conversation. If I want to go out on a play date to the zoo with kids that are all around my child's age, then I'm going to call the mommy group that have kids around the same age as my, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. each different group can serve a different purpose. And that's okay to be in that group with those moms, with those babies all around the same age and not feel like, you know, you would have this person stand up at your wedding. 
you know, like that's okay. (laughs) That is okay to have those boundaries and that distance because the only thing or the thing that you guys share in common at that point in time is kids in the same stage and, and, and developmental age. And that's okay. It serves the Mm -hmm. purpose. It serves the need for you being on mat leave with your babe and getting out and socializing. Yes. And we can't put so much pressure on some of these interactions. And I think sometimes when we, you know, anticipate that I'm going to go to one, whatever event group that I'm going to connect with people, like so many people, or I'm going to see the best of people. We just don't know what people are going through. Like what if they're having a terrible day? What if they feel uneasy when they meet people for the first time? Um, I think that's why it's so important to give this a few chances. Like you want to, we're warming up to people. We're in a very vulnerable position in our lives. We can't put so much expectation on these inter- these interactions and expect that I'm going to go to one of these events. I'm going to hit it off with somebody right off the bat. And we are going to just share all of our deepest, darkest secrets with each other. I think right. it takes time to develop those relationships. And sometimes it takes time to really feel like something feels comfortable. And this really requires us to be uncomfortable sometimes. It's like we go to these groups, it might not feel so easy immediately. And there is like, there's practice that has to happen, practice of being uncomfortable. And there's a difference between like, this is absolutely not for me and it does not align with my values versus this is making me really push myself a little out of my comfort zone, but I'm willing Mm -hmm. to try it. Those are two different things. Totally. And I think it's worth it. And we can't put such this like perfect experience expectation on like every time I go somewhere or see, meet up with somebody and those, these relationships take time to develop. And it's unfortunately this all occurs in one of those, like in the most vulnerable positions of our lives, when we are, you know, sleep deprived, we're tired, we are stretched thin. And now we're being pushed to like make real authentic connections or whatever that looks like. And it's hard. And I'm not going to downplay how hard it is, but it is. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think about like even to the mom who's struggling with depression or anxiety or like hypervigilance, the very task of getting out of the house is extremely hard and uncomfortable, right? Yes. Like the idea that the baby is going to be exposed to all of these people or the idea that I have to go and socialize with these people I don't know or show up at this mommy group where I don't have any friends or the idea like I don't have enough energy to shower today, let alone go and interact with people that I don't even really know or care about yet, you know? So there's so many different kind of contributing factors that might um, cause moms to isolate themselves or have a hard time getting out of the house. But then when we do just give in to that isolation and we give in to that not wanting to leave the house, then a couple of things happen. And and I think this is important for us to spend some time on is one, with anxiety, we start to avoid leaving the house out of fear and out of anxiety. And let's like like let's break down the role of of avoidance for a minute in anxiety and how it helps or hinders the problem. Yes. So this, you just brought up a real life example for me. Uh, my son, as you might know, if you follow me on Instagram, experienced extreme colic and he would scream all the time. And when we got in the car, he would scream even more. He hated being in the car. So I was like, I'm going to go to one of these groups. And my dear friend, Amy from AC Breastfed Babies has a local group here in the Valley that she um, runs. Back then it was at a different location and she's like, you should really come. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in the car with my son and he's going to scream the whole time. And like, I'm already getting worked up thinking about it. 
Mm-hmm. So here I am, I'm driving there and he's screaming, he's crying the whole time. And I'm like, he's going to be screaming the whole time we're in there and I'm going to have to cluster feed. It's just going to be a mess. And I, you're right. So there is an option here. I have the option to avoid the situation, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because when we create, when we have that anxiety and we, cre- we start to avoid, we do not allow ourselves to experience positive uh, situations. And then that further fuels those negative thoughts because it's saying, you see, I avoided that situation and now I'm at home safe. And that's why I do that. I avoid that stuff so that I can avoid those negative feelings and I'm at home and I don't have to deal with that. So we further perpetuate that anxiety. We've developed this barrier of avoidance and it becomes stronger and a little more difficult to break out of. What we do when we expose ourselves to some of those anxious experiences is we can potentially, our hope is to break down some of those negative thinking patterns that we have because we can, we're potentially wrong. And I was wrong because I got to that group. He did cry the whole way there. And that part was right. But he did not make one beat like the whole time we were there he slept and I was like whose kid is this (laughs) and he slept in my arms and I was like this is crazy and he was just like two months old they were all moms you know they were just their babies were crying or crawling and moving and nothing was perfect like I anticipated that like I'd have to be there and keep them silent at a baby's group which was kind of crazy if you think about it and um he did not make one sound the whole time I was there but my anxiety was telling me you don't want to go. It's not going to be worth your time and you're going to have to leave. But exposing myself to this potentially anxious situation allowed me to see that just because I have an anxious thought does not mean that it's factual and it does not mean that it's going to come true. And it's my, it was my job. And that's, I think because I'm a psychologist, I'm like doing this cognitive, you know, uh, reframing exercises in my brain. But I'm thinking like, I need to challenge myself a little bit here because what is the alternative? I'm going to sit in my house all day for the rest of eternity and feel the way I've been feeling. So I learned that again, like thoughts are thoughts. They're not facts. They are, you know, they can be true sometimes, but they also can be really rooted in anxiety and can be untrue and false and they can be over amplified. So sometimes exposing ourselves to these potentially Anxious situations can be helpful because it can dispute those negative thoughts that we have. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. 
That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. In the moment, avoidance sounds and it feels so appealing because it brings an immediate sense of relief. You know, all yeah. this tension is building up inside of me because I'm thinking about the car ride there and he's going to be crying and I'm going to feel so stressed and uncomfortable and I'm going to navigate through traffic and all of these things with a screaming baby. And like uh, like the book that I'm reading right now, um, No Drama Discipline, like from the, the authors of Whole Brain Child to call it like the shark music, you know, like pre- preparing for like Jaws <laughs> to come, just like this, this, this like looming yeah. threat kind of thing uh-huh. in the background. And, and that all starts to kick up and it's like, okay, the decision to stay home would just bring immediate relief to all of those things. But when we continue to make the decision to avoid and to stay home, then that shark becomes bigger and scarier every time we contemplate leaving the house and going to a new play group. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's so important, like you said, to really push ourselves through our discomfort, to challenge those thoughts or assumptions that we have about what that play group is going to look like and force ourselves, find the skills, find the coping skills, find the ways to get out of the house and to go. Because really, when you get to play group, it is a little bit of a gong show. People are pooping and having blowouts and spitting up and crying and rolling around on the floor. And it's not, we're all moms. We all get it. It's not meant to be perfect. And getting there might be stressful because, you know, the car seat and the screaming, that can always be be stressed. But when you get there, the other moms get it and they kind of chip in and they have a hand and they, they're handing your wipes and they're dealing with the blowouts and they're doing all the things, right? Yeah. So it's never as bad as we expect it will be. 
And learning to control that shark music or that assuming or anticipating that something bad is going to happen really is essential to being able to confront and, and, and join into those situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's necessary. Yeah. So that's for like the mom who might be struggling with anxiety and getting out of the house. And I think on the flip side of that is a mom who might be struggling with depressive mood and like lethargy and low energy, mm. you know, um, and that is another potential thing that keeps us isolated and, and from getting out with others because with lack of energy or irritability or like mummy rage, getting out of the house, packing up the kids and getting out seems like such a monumental task. And when you don't even want to like shower or like move that day, packing up the kids to go join a mommy group is not the most appealing thing in life. But can we unpack why it's really important, even when we have down mood or like low energy to kind of get up and moving? Yes, absolutely. So when we are feeling down, we're depressed, we have a tendency, like you said, to be, you know, it feels like a lot and packing the diaper bag feels like such a challenge and it seems so overwhelming. And again, that starts to isolate us because we are not having any, we're not having positive experiences because we are, we are really um, feeding into those negative cognitions that nothing good happens to me. Well, really, because we're not providing ourselves the opportunity for anything good to happen to us. But I always challenge people to start really small. And we talk about behavioral activation and cognitive behavioral therapy and how important that is as a treatment intervention for depression. What that means is that we need to activate ourselves very slowly and that has a tendency to improve our mood. And it doesn't have to be like I went from I'm feeling really down and I'm isolating in my home and I feel like crap to like pack up your bag and go to a like a group. This might look like Today, I am going to push myself to sit outside for 10 minutes and let the sun touch my skin because yeah. that feels good. Um, and if you don't have natural sun where you live, like bright light, bright light therapy is also an effective um, alternative to that. But maybe it is uh, today I'm going to challenge myself to take a call or I'm going to call somebody and have them come over. Maybe we can have like a date, a play date at my house that we start off doing what feels feasible, what feels doable. We start off with those really small things and we build on those until we feel like I am getting myself to a point where I am feeling more connected, but it doesn't feel so overwhelming that it's just not going to happen. I think when we set our eyes on saying like, well, everybody else is going to these, you know, social support groups or they're going to a mom group or they're doing this, you know, exercise group. And I can't even get myself out of bed, that feels like a failure. That feels like it's not even feasible or doable and it's not even on my radar. So we want to set the expectation. We want to set the goal somewhere that's achievable and it's realistic to you and your setup, right? I mean, if we've got to think of other barriers to getting there. What if you don't have the means or transportation? So it's like, we've got to be a little more creative in um, communicating with other people. Maybe it's hopping on like a virtual support group. Maybe it's inviting somebody over or meeting our neighbors. Um, we have to be realistic. Like I said, we got to start small and build ourselves up there. I really love that. I really love that. Like I internalized this idea, I don't know, in like my early twenties, that goals should be so achievable that you can't possibly fail. 
at it. Right. When Mm -hmm. you are setting a goal for yourself, we always tend to set the most, you know, perfectionist, like extraordinary goal. But then we are setting ourselves up for failure. And then we feel totally crummy that, you know, I didn't have my kids in coordinated outfits all together at the whatever, you know, like it just Mm -hmm. becomes like craziness. So this was actually, I'll tell a little bit of a, a little bit of a story because this was, this was my experience was the low mood and, and like lethargy and stuff. I've talked about my postpartum experience with my third. So in my first maternity leave, I was up and out and on the go and joining mummy groups and social and, you know, anxious and trying to adjust to new motherhood, but I was up and about. With my third um, mat leave and my new baby and three kids, three and under, um, the thought of even getting out of bed to get everybody breakfast was like extremely like depressing and aggravating for me because Mm -hmm. I couldn't even get my own body out of bed. It felt like yet I've got to go pick up these three kids, take care of their needs all day long, feed them and do all of the things and be all of the things for these three little dependent humans. Right. So it was such a huge difference, miles and miles apart from my first experience where we were up and out every day. I had something on the on the plans, like even double plan something in the day, nap in the afternoon, you know, totally different. But realistically, for me, getting three kids out to a a group was so much work than getting there because they're all different ages and running in different directions and in different developmental stages. I was like, that's just a recipe for me to like lose my mind. Like that doesn't sound appealing. So I had to adjust my goals and my expectations of what it looked like to get out of the house with three kids. And I would bundle them. And it was in the winter here, which was really kind of stinky because it's hard to get out. I'd have to put on all their snowsuits, all their mittens, all their hats and scarves and everything, boots on. And we'd go for a walk on the trail that's out back from my house. Just the fresh air and just getting out and a change of scenery so the kids weren't inside and fighting. Like it was a lot of work to get to the point of getting out the door, but the relief that it brought in getting out and like us having a purpose or something to do with our time. And then to take in like the beautiful, it's a beautiful trail at the back of our house that we love to just kind of admire. And we do little, um, kind of like mindfulness exercises where we would go on a scavenger hunt to see if we could find, you know, like a fall leaf. Can we find a rock? Can we find like an acorn? Can we find things along the way? Is there a frog in the pond, like in the summer and things like that? And really trying to just engage in nature and be outside in a change of environment so that I can try my best to improve my mood and also meet the needs of the kids at the same time. It's like a constant dance between meeting your baby's needs and taking care of yourself, right? Yes. Yes. I think it's so important. And the fact that you just described two very, like just, you know, you had such different experiences with each pregnancy and with with each maternity leave. And that just speaks to like how every mom is having such a different experience. And sometimes when we, it's like when we compare ourselves to somebody we see online, how inaccurate that can be because of our own personality, our own traits that we have, our tendencies to be maybe more anxious or more down or more perfectionistic, whatever it is. And also, I think the other thing that we do not consider is our child's temperament. Totally. Every child has a different temperament. And for my kiddo, I was like, I'm not kidding. I I think I've told you this before, but he cried so much that we were just like, did we get a lemon? This is like, just not right. You know, this is not right. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> like we were just so in shock by the crying that it really is so it felt even more isolating and um because nobody else I knew was talking about that. Yeah. And um it was for me, it wasn't so much my social outlets weren't so much being with other people all the time. I had to find another way to feel like I could um uh, not be alone. And I would go and walk up and down the main road so I could see cars, like see life and see people like walking around. And I would put in a podcast and, uh, in my headphones and I would like take one ear thing out, earbud out so I could hear like traffic. But then I would listen to that and it felt like I was almost having a conversation with somebody, like someone was talking to me. Yeah. And, um, that was, good for my soul. Cause I felt I would take, he would, he loved that. It was like the one thing he actually did like, and he would like the stroller. So we would go for these long, I would mean long, long walks. I would listen to like two podcasts and then, um, it would be just enough for me to feel like I could take on the day yeah, and, um, return and do things. So our expectations, we really have to tune into who we are and who our kid is and know that, um, I think, the most important thing I've learned now that I'm through that phase is knowing that these are seasons and they do pass even when we feel like it's not going to, because it feels like when you're in it, you're like, I cannot even, I mean, what is it going to look like for me to get out of this? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, um, what do they say? Sort of like the pleasure of having like a second or a third kid after is like you really do have a bit of a sense and some confidence in knowing that, you know, these are just stages. Sleep does change quickly and it feels long in those early days, but it actually does go by faster than you anticipate it will. And so it was really an amazing experience to parent my my second baby, just going in with that much more confidence and stuff. And he was a really different, tem- different temperament and really easygoing baby. And then I got pregnant with my third and I just had chronic pain and a bunch of challenges. And he was, again, an amazing baby and an amazing delivery, but my body was just done having babies. And I really struggled after that third one. And then also the responsibility that I was carrying, having three kids, three and under, like it was just an enormous weight, even just psychologically, I felt like at the time to carry. Um, so yeah, so many different factors, um, temperament and, and and, like ability to get out of the house, even if you've got a car or not to go to these mommy groups, like there are so many barriers that can stand in the way for moms. But I think that, um, in the things that we've talked about, it's really important to know that if you are, it, it, it can be a mommy group, but it doesn't have to be a mommy group. It can be just getting out and going on a walk and doing things for like a change of scenery, things that you enjoy that are nourishing to you. And if there is anxiety that's holding you back from doing that, really working on kind of getting some of the skills or potentially seeing a therapist if you're like really struggling to get out of the house, um, potentially seeing a therapist to work on you know, being able to overcome that anxiety or with the depression, if you're having a hard time getting out of the house and moving and going for a walk because you're feeling so depressed. Uh, again, if it's like really significant that it's, it's impacting your ability to care for yourself or your baby, talk to somebody about it, maybe find a therapist, talk to your doctor or uh, really start to push yourself to do the opposite of what your depressive mood or your anxiety is telling you, right? Because there are sort of like this voice in our head or this feeling in our body that tell us to do certain things. And we really have to work to do the opposite of of what they're telling us to do. So yes. mm-hmm. 
Um, A couple of other things that are coming to mind in terms of isolation now is like when we are at home and we're scrolling social media, I think that we, it'd be helpful to have a little talk here about how to control um, our social media usage. Because if you are scrolling at the beginning, like we talked about, seeing all these, you know, lifestyle mommy bloggers who are like, you know, a size zero and their hair is curled every day. They've got fake eyelashes and their nails done and they look all of these ways that you feel like you don't potentially. Um, How do you not allow that to drive you into shame and guilt or like cause you to withdraw or feel disconnected, you know? And, And I know that you and I have had conversations and we've talked before in the past about how to control social media usage, um, you know, some, some tips and tricks for that. So do you have anything off the top of your head in terms of how to like limit your scroll and things like that? I think that would, to me, it would bring up a question on like, what is my purpose on being on social media? Like, what is my goal? Is it to compare myself to people that have these, um, lifestyles that I don't feel like are my reality? And, and what am I doing with that information? Cause if I'm going to be comparing myself to people on a platform, then maybe I'm not using this platform appropriately. Maybe I'm not using it for what it's, it's social media. So if I want to use it to maybe connect with people, that's one thing. Or if I'm trying to learn something, if I'm trying to be inspired, but I think that would really speak to that. Like I'm, maybe I'm not following people that I should be following. And I think we talked about this last time, Mm -hmm. but um, it's really, it's like going through, and monitoring it. It's almost like if your kid were on some type of social media platform and you recognize that they were following people and then all of a sudden their behavior started to change, you would question, you know, are you being influenced by what you're observing? Mm -hmm. And you would have a conversation with them about it. Potentially, you know, like, let's talk about how we can reduce this, this negative influence. And I think we do, we need to do the same thing for ourselves. It's like, well, if something is not making me feel good, I really need to assess why am I doing this? Am I a glutton for punishment? Right. Do I want to get on something, whatever it is, and continue to feel inadequate? Um, I think that's one thing. So we can reduce our exposure, but it's also changing what we are thinking and kind of going in with a lens of protection that says, is this realistic? It's like if you were to go to a movie theater and watch a movie, would you say to yourself like, wow, that's incredible. Like we know they're paid actors, right? We know that. And in a sense, we have to um, do the same when we are scrolling. It's like they're paid actors. They They actually are. They really actually are. They're they're paid by brands Uh to promote a product and make it look appealing that you'd want to integrate it into your life. And, And I think that that's a lot of what people who aren't in the Instagram space really don't sort of recognize is like this is legit like a if you stepped back out of the frame like when I'm taking like the Instagram pictures if you scroll back on my feed for all like the photo shoot type pictures mm-hmm. there's like a light there's all this stuff there's different outfits drawn in the background and like it's just it's legit like an operation there's it's a whole <laughs> scene going on and and I don't want people to you know compare themselves to like, it's just not real life. It really is a curated or, you know, Hollywood version of, um, motherhood. Yes. So yeah. Like I matching love outfits and the whole shebang. And oh, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. We all wake up with bad breath. We all wake up with like our hair in shambles. Like yeah. I think that if we really start to 
challenge the way that we see things and remind ourselves that we at the core are all human and we all have our own struggles and our own pain. And just because they are choosing not to share that doesn't mean that it does not exist. Right. So there's, it kind of goes back to being mindful and in mindfulness, we talk about that common humanity. Like we are all in this human experience and we all are having some suffering that occurs. And just because we don't see it and we're not talking about it doesn't mean that it doesn't occur. And I really want to challenge people to not go to that, like, woe is me because like I'm suffering because I know my suffering, but I think they're not suffering because they're not telling me about it. And that's not true. We know that, right? Yeah. So it's something to remind ourselves about. Yeah. And I have a couple other like just sort of practical tidbits to throw in there um, in terms of like limiting social media usage. I love like the having a purpose, knowing why you're on there. If you are scrolling and you constantly see an account that you're just like, ugh, you know, like this person, like, look at them, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you're, you go to like, ugh, unfollow them. Like you yes. are not obligated yeah. to follow them in any way. Just unfollow, do yourself a favor. Don't, you know, ruin your vibe with this person that you don't even want to follow anyways. And a couple of other really practical ones, set a timer and limit your scroll. So like mm-hmm. set a 20 minute timer. If you find like you mindlessly scroll throughout the day and you end up in this like spiral of like shame and comparison, set a timer. Allow yourself to check notifications and, you know, message and check in with people who you really actually care to be in connection with and then keep it moving from there. Another few is you can turn off your notifications, put all of your social in like a folder on your phone and set intentional times in the day that you go into this folder to check. So rather than a notification popping up and pulling you into that space all the time, if you're really having a hard time being online, turn off the notifications and you mindfully, willfully choose when to go in and when to scroll and when to check. Um, Those are just a few kind of coming to me off the top of my head, but there are really practical ways to set limitations. And it's really about you holding yourself accountable to not allowing the shame storm to kind of take you over right? Being mindful to shift gears and to do something different and to choose to, like you said, choose to protect yourself and be in a protective sort of state when you're scrolling social media, knowing that I'm at home covered in spit up, you know, with, with sore cracked nipples and everyone's life looks amazing right now. Like knowing you're vulnerable and impressionable in that time and that you really are grieving your old life and you really want to be going and doing those things be kind and protect yourself from those things that are just going to, to trigger you and set you off. Absolutely. And that goes for in-person interactions as well. Like if there are people that you feel like when you're with them, you leave feeling more drained than encouraged. I think if you feel comfortable to discuss that, discuss it. But if you need to distance yourself for your own mental health, you need to do that. Because no one else is going to do it for you, truly. No one is going to be able to protect your mental health like you can. No one else is going to do that work like you can. And it's unfortunate that sometimes we have to really advocate for ourselves and do these things when we are in that, like, I'm tired and vulnerable and, you know, just fatigued, that those are the times that we really need to step up and we have to, we really do. Otherwise, we, we are going to unravel. Yeah, it's self-preservation, right? It's mm-hmm. self-protection. Like we have to in this most sort of vulnerable time of motherhood and in this biggest transition of life, we've got to uh, put up some boundaries and preserve ourselves and have something left for ourselves at the end of the day. So, 
All right. So as we think about wrapping up here, I know we've talked about a lot of different um, ideas and things for moms to kind of combat isolation and loneliness. But if we're to think about wrapping it up with a few of those suggestions or things to leave moms with, uh, what are some of the practical things that moms can do to feel more connected and supported? I would say there's, I mean, there's different ways to feel supported and it doesn't have to be in person if that's not feasible for you. So figuring out what works for you, knowing that, you know, telephone support, online support does work, knowing that you might need um, space away if you're maybe an introvert and you need some time to decompress. Um, But I think the biggest takeaway is learning what you need and asking for it. Yeah, That is going to be the biggest thing. And sometimes I might feel like I don't know who to ask and I know, don't know what to ask for, but, um, that is going to be some, like a, almost like a homework assignment to explore. Like, what is it that my body or my brain are telling me? What is it that I physically need or emotionally need right now? And expressing that to a safe person that you feel like you can and start yeah. to do more about. Yeah. Like, is it that I really need like in-person connection or is it that I really need to feel understood in my experience right now? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, is it that I really need to know I'm not alone in this dark side of motherhood that I'm feeling because everyone looks cheery and I need to know that some people feel like motherhood sucks sometimes. Not that I don't love my kid. I absolutely Mm -hmm. am fiercely, madly in love with my kid, but man, motherhood is hard. Mm -hmm. And so I think that even sometimes the need is just to feel understood. And there are some amazing resources. And this is why I love our platforms and our pages because I've connected with so many amazing people who help me to feel understood, even just through Instagram alone. Mm -hmm. So like we we talk about putting these limits on social media, but you can also kind of you like use or harness these things for for really powerful connection if you're looking in the right places again and you know what your needs are and you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for spending your time here with us today. And again, for those who don't know, and this is their first introduction to you, where are you hanging out online? Where can people find you? I am, well, Dr. Asherina Reem. I'm a psychologist. You can find me on Instagram at psyched mommy. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E-D, mommy, M-O-M-M-Y. And my website is the same. It's psychedmommy.com. I will be launching a Facebook group soon, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I know you've got some really exciting projects and things in the works for uh, people who maybe aren't local to you to find therapy or uh, maybe people who are looking to just like ramp up their supports and knowledge. So some exciting things in the pipeline. So I would encourage people to head on over, give you a follow and and keep track with all the things that you're up to. So thank you again for being here with us today and we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that we're discussing today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. 
This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.